A few weeks ago, we recorded a podcast on the Rosenthal effect. No. And that video did not work out very well. It, there, were, uh, there were some uh, technological issues that we did not uh, realize until after we had recorded it. So, um, you know, just a, a little bit of behind the scenes, because our, our schedules are so ridiculous, we, we try to record several podcasts at a time, and so we recorded this Rosenthal uh, podcast, so, and mm-hmm. then we recorded another one afterwards, and when we referred to the Rosenthal uh, podcast in the second video, even though Didn't the make- Rosenthal, first Rosenthal video never made it to the air. So um, we're here again today to try to re-record <laughs> the Rosenthal Effect podcast. And we hope that it works. We hope that it okay. does. We still don't have a uh, like a producer or anybody that can watch the computer as we're uh, recording to let us know if there's any That's one of the problems, problems. here in our new arrangement right. because we, we have um, um, abrogated, absconded, ab- we've taken over, abducted, we've taken over the what we used to use as a podcast room right? Um, and we have, we've had to make some changes because now we're doing neurofeedback and right. so we had to switch some offices around to accommodate the neurofeedback equipment which is a topic we'll, we'll do for another podcast. Yeah. Okay, we, we haven't really talked too much about a neurofeedback here at uh, PAC Florida. But um, yes, we have the. Ro- I started to smile when you mentioned Rosenthal because we are renaming it. Yes, we are. <laughs> we, Just we, us. We, we, the acknowledged experts in, this, <laughs> in the United States, have renamed the Rosenthal effect to acknowledge both authors. Right. And we laughed about it at first because we didn't know who the second author was right. for a while. And you just casually mentioned, yes, it was probably a woman yes. who in didn't the, get credit. The first time we recorded it, we said, I, I said, yeah, it was probably a woman because it, yeah. in, those, in those days, uh, women uh, researchers did not get as much credit. And we said it was either a graduate student right. or a woman, or right. probably a graduate student who was a, is a woman. And lo and behold, it was a woman. That's exactly what happened. Is that Carol Jacobson? Carol Jacobson, right? Uh, so it's Rosen, the Rosenthal Jacobson effect. Yeah. That's what so we're talking about the right. '60s. You know, yeah. people always talk about the '60s, and that was before Title IX and before women's rights and. Uh, women's rights. We're moving toward towards women's rights um, yeah. in in the new millennium. Yeah. Perhaps we'll get there by mid-century. <laughs> Maybe. Um, we're not sure. Oh, so frustrating. Uh, so anyway, uh, this is about the Rosenthal. What prompted this article was there was a there was a recent study done, right. um, which once again visited this topic, right. because we are no longer allowed to do the kind of study that Rosenthal and Jacobson did. Right, yeah, there, there, are, there are a slew of studies mm-hmm. that are sort of the seminal studies, the hallmark studies in right. psychology that we just would not ever be allowed to do again. We can teach right. about them, right. but we can't redo those studies, we're not allowed. Interestingly, some of them were recent enough where we, can, we, where we actually have video footage of them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, can't, we couldn't redo them. Right. So we can see them, we can teach about them, and we can build new studies sort of upon the principles that those studies taught us. Mm-hmm. But uh, the study that Rosenthal and Jacobson did is not a study that we could redo because what they did was they mm-hmm. took a group of students, uh, a group of teachers at a uh, school in uh, California, I believe it was. Right. Um, and they told the teachers that there were certain students, well, they, they tested all the students' IQ at the beginning of right. the school they year. They gave them an IQ test at the beginning of the, right. uh, before the beginning of the school year. Right, so they knew, 
where, where all the students fell sort of on their uh, on an IQ test. Mm -hmm. And then they told the teachers that based upon the IQ, these were students who, uh, you know, this group of students uh, that they identified would be high achievers for that That's school right. year. That's right. They said that there's a group of students among all the students they tested who have the potential to really make um, substantial right. gains. They're, they're ready to really blossom right. this year right. in particular. And we, we feel that this, this group of, of students is really ready to blossom this year and that we expect great, right. uh, significant changes in their ability and aptitude this year. Now, the reality is that they randomly chose these students. Right. So some of the students may have been high achievers, and, but some of the students were relatively low, you right. know, what we might consider low achievers, or students that we would not consider to do well or would expect right. to have some difficulty right. in school. Mm -hmm. um, and lo and behold, what they found was um, that at the end of the school year, they retested those kids' um, IQs and everything, and those students that were ex that were told uh, the teachers were told were, mm -hmm. would be high achievers, those students all scored higher um, at the end of the year right. than they did at the beginning of the year. Right. And so what they're saying here is that when when teachers um, in this particular study, when teachers held the expectation that a particular student would perform really well, that student did in fact perform relatively right. well right. compared mm -hmm. to those students who the teacher didn't expect to do well. Right. And this concept known as the Rosenthal effect, which we have renamed the Rosenthal-Jacobson effect, um, is based on um, expectancy theory, right. which came out just a few years before Rosenthal mm -hmm. and Jacobson did their studies. There were a number of studies mm -hmm. being done at the time. And it was based on expectancy theory. Well, expectancy theory goes back to um, Greek mythology. Right. Okay, so there's this interesting history, which I always like to talk about these things, um, about the sculptor Pygmalion, right. um, a, a, um, from classical Greek theater and mythology. Pygmalion created this statue out of ivory and fell in love with the statue and asked the gods if they would turn this statue into his wife. Mm -hmm. And he actually named her Gal Galatia. Galatea is how they pronounce Galatea, was the name of the that he gave the, mm. the sculpture when she came to life. So there's Pygmalion, Galatea, Greek mythology. Well, George Bernard Shaw, two, almost 2,000 years later, the playwright, uh, wrote a play based on Pygmalion that was first produced in 1913 um, called Pygmalion. And that was later turned into a... Broadway production, a Broadway musical called My Fair Lady. Mm -hmm. And it's a very famous one of them, turned into a movie um, with Audrey Hepburn and Rex Harrison about turning this, um, this flowers, this little saleswoman who worked as a street vendor and turned her, and, and he said, give me six months and I can turn her into royalty, okay? Mm -hmm. So there's this, there's this notion, this idea from Pygmalion to um, um, My Fair Lady, that says, you know, if you expect it, and if you if you have the expectation, you can create the reality. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, what would be an interesting discussion, and it's not one that we'll have today, right. is to talk about the relationship between this and behaviorism, because what they said there uh, is not all that different from what John Watson said. That's right. About you know, give me give me seven kids, 
regardless of their background, and he could make them into whatever he you wanted know, to make. Them. And interestingly, it was at about this. It was about yeah. 1913 right. that he said that, which was when uh, George Bernard Shaw's play came out, right. um, uh, uh, My Fair Lady. Uh, what? No, the, the first Pygmalion movie. The first Pygmalion, yeah. right? Uh, George Bernard Shaw's um, uh, was Pygmalion. Yeah. based on the Greek sculpture. Right. And then in 1964, the movie came out. Interesting, another interesting juxtaposition is that My Fair Lady, the movie with Audrey Hepburn and Rex Harrison came out in 1964, which is when Victor Vroom first talked about expectancy theory right. in the classroom. Right. Okay. And right around the time that Rosenthal and Jacobson were doing their stuff. And then Rosenthal it and Jacobson just kind of did, sinks together. did theirs in 1968. Right. Yeah. So there's, there all, there's this curious juxtaposition of um, musicals and theater and and what's happening in um, academia at the, yeah. about the same time. One day we're going to do a podcast on um, some other theories that uh, began or has its roots in theater um, and <laughs> has now found its way into um, into psychology and sociology. And you're referring and to? And I'm referring to affect theory. Oh. Yes, yeah. uh, I, I look back and we did it. We did a couple of podcasts. We did a, uh, actually a series of three or four podcasts back in the summer of 2017. Is that when it was? On emotion, yes. That long ago. Um, wow. And we talked about some of the different theories of emotion and we started to hint at that, but mm -hmm. that was before that I knew, before I knew anything about right. um, affect theory. Bab so, yeah, it's an interesting um, topic. We may need to end up having a guest, um, right. a guest with us uh, to talk right. about affect theory just a little bit. Now, so what, what we're talking about here is expectancy theory. Right. You know, if you expect it, it will occur. And the more recent study... Well, it's important that we're talking about this now because school's starting. That's right. That's why this whole thing came right. up. Right. That at the beginning of the school year, and we have a colleague in Scotland, um, and uh, he did this, he was talking about the same thing yeah. this week because schools are starting there as well. And, and he sent out a text the other day that said, I've recycled this article, but it was appropriate <laughs> because school is starting and so we want to remind everybody right. about this and we're sort of doing the same thing. So Fraser, if you're listening, um, uh, good work there in Scotland. And we still want to come to visit. So yes. let us know yes, when, when you're free. And I don't know how you're ever going to be free given all the things that you do. Right. Um, but the more recent study was um, a um, writing class. Yeah. And um, after the papers were graded, the teacher wrote a single comment at the end. Right. So, so right. What they did was um, they, they took this these students in this writing mm -hmm. class, English high school English class. Right. Uh, it was high school, I think. Yes. Um, and yes, the teachers graded the papers, and then they randomly selected students. And at the end of their papers, they wrote, um, "I'm giving you this feedback because I believe in you." Correct. That's all it was. It was, it was just one a sentence. single sentence. Right. At the end, of uh, just a randomly selected. And random selection is we're just going to pick fifty out of a hat, you know. Right. Just we don't care who they are. Just we're going to we're going to take twenty-five pages papers out of a hat, and at the bottom of them, they wrote this single sentence. Right. I'm I'm giving you this feedback because I believe in you. Right. So that was the end of that year. Right. Then the students go to the next school year. The next school year. Um, the teachers in the new school year did not know who received that sentence or who didn't. Who got that, that feedback? Nobody versus they didn't those know. who didn't. Right. right. Only the researchers knew. Right. And so then they go through that school year. At the end of that school year, they had standardized tests. They had, they had right. some step tests that the students had mm -hmm. to take. The students who received that single sentence at the end of the previous school year right. scored higher on that end of year 
exam mm -hmm. than students who didn't get that, um, Correct. you know, on, on average. Right, right, that's right. So having that feedback, that positive feedback that somebody believes in them um, is presumed to help have, um, have had some effect on their overall performance the next school year. That's right. So again, we see this, just the expectation right. that you are expected to do better right. will make you do better, will, will induce you to do better. What I think is fascinating about it is because we do talk about this all the time, right? We, we talk about the idea of, you know, there's just this one teacher that believed in me, or, you know, I had this one it. person in my life who who really told me that I that they believed mm -hmm. in me that I could do it and and that is really what motivated me. So we right. we know these types of stories and right. we all know people who have been influenced in this way, but we don't really put it together that um, that really I, I hate to minimize it, but it really only takes that much. You know, That's it right. just takes a couple of words of, of encouragement and of uh, belief in someone mm -hmm. to really potentially change their life. That's right. Um, if you are constantly hearing negative messages, you tend to be negative. If you have your caretakers, whether they're parents or teachers or any, any authority figure, telling you that you can't, mm -hmm. you probably won't. Yeah. Okay? On the other hand, if you're getting positive messages, particularly if they're accurate right. and um, they, um, what you don't want to do is you, this whole idea about you can be anything you want. Right. Okay. That, no, you can't be anything you want. And, and there, most students know that. Right. And there are limitations. Right. Okay. Most of us are not going to become uh, professional athletes. Right. Okay. We can be very good at some level, but most of us are not. So to say, you know, you can be an NFL quarterback, you can be a major league baseball player. There are going to be physical limitations mm -hmm. that you run into. Right. Okay. And so the, the feedback that we give our children has to be accurate too. Right. You, 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 can't, you can't tell a student who has incoordination or not well coordinated, well, no, you can really be a professional athlete if you work hard enough. Right. Um, Olympic athletes are different biologically. Right. Okay. We, we've had that discussion is that their bodies are different than ours. Mm -hmm. okay? mm -hmm. No matter how hard you work, you may not be able to get to Olympic status because you're going to run into physical limitations. Right. Barring that, expectancy theory is is an ingredient mm -hmm. in how we should be dealing with our children, our students, and our coworkers. Right. Okay. Our supervisees. Right. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> allowing people to, um, or not allowing people, letting people know that we believe in them and that we have yeah. faith in them. And, um, and, and to me, this comes down to, uh, again, things that many of you um, have probably experienced in your mm -hmm. life. You know, how do you feel when someone micromanages you? Right. You know, mm -hmm. because what micromanaging suggests is that I don't think that you can take care of this yourself. You're so not let capable. Me, right. So right. let me kind of guide you along every step right. of the way. Right. Um, but, but when somebody says, here's the project, you know, right. I, I believe that you, I believe in you. I know that you can get this accomplished. Right. It may feel overwhelming and those kinds of things, but man, how good does it feel for someone right. to have that kind of belief and faith in you? You know, there's a, there's a side note here. Uh, there's a, there's a uh, controversy brewing in education today about accommodations. Right. You know, um, should we be providing students with accommodations? There are students who legitimately right. can benefit from accommodations. Yeah. But we need to be very careful because once you say to a 13, 14, 15, 16 year old kid, you can't do this yourself. You mm -hmm. need to have more time, 
a quiet They don't room. even have to be that old. You know, how many times have we seen eight, nine, or 10 year olds right. who say, you know, I just have to, I, I have to have these extra things done for right. me because I just can't do it by myself. Right. right. It's like, well, well, let's work on it at right. least. And are we robbing children when we rush to accommodation? And I'm not saying you shouldn't, but I'm saying when we rush to, when we make accommodations our first step, mm -hmm. rather than helping the child to overcome it right. on his or her own, are we, the question is, I'm not saying whether we should or shouldn't, I'm saying the question becomes, should we somehow give the student the opportunity to overcome right. the obstacle rather than to succumb to, mm -hmm. I can't. Right. Because I expect you to be able to do it. I know you have ADHD, but I expect you to overcome right. it. I know you have a mood disorder. I know that you're anxious. Mm -hmm. I understand all that. Let's work together to overcome that right. rather than to say you can't right. and I'll give you an accommodation. Absolutely. So uh, not, that, not that 504 plans and accommodations and modifications aren't useful, right. but, but let's use them um, in a very mindful way because we don't want to, we don't want to negate the value and the, the power of expectancy formula, expectancy, expectations, you know, high expectations. Right, absolutely. Mm -hmm. so, so as we're starting out the school year, you know, if you're a teacher, uh, we, we know that you believe in your students. Right. Um, make sure that they know that you believe in them. Um, parents, make sure that you let your kids know that you believe in them. Right. Um, you know, it, it, is, it is likely to be a little bit more powerful, especially as the kids get a little bit older, for the teacher to believe in them than it is right. for the parents because um, a lot of kids will get to the point where they say, well, you have to believe in me because you're my parent. <laughs> right. Um, but right. That's but right. still, you want them to know that, that, they, that you believe in them. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, because while it may become expected that you believe in them, um, when, they, when they know that you don't believe in them, that has oh. extremely powerful effects. And so while the positive side may not be as strong, mm -hmm. the negative side is even worse. And now that we're there, the Pygmalion effect is high, I have this high mm -hmm. expectation. The Golem, G-O-L-E-M, the Golem effect is I have a low expectation, right. okay? So there's Pygmalion, Galatea, and Golem. Mm -hmm. um, and all of those are going to exert an influence right. on how much enthusiasm and motivation a child brings to a task. Right. So don't yeah. give them false hope, don't give them false expectations, give them high expectations, they'll achieve it. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely so. All right, so um, good luck with the start of the school year. Yeah. Uh, we believe in you. Uh, so there you go, if for whatever that's worth. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, so until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and forget to be afraid.